back to Educate, the alternative classroom experience brought to you by me, Katie Conn, from my London bedroom. Hello! Thank you so much for tuning in again. It's been an absolute pleasure receiving all of your positive feedback from last week's episode for International Women's Day with the brilliant Carolyn Mercer. I'm sure you will all agree with me if you've listened to the episode that Carolyn is just so inspirational and it was an utter pleasure to hear her story. Thank you so much, Carolyn. I am so grateful. Thank you. So for this week's virtual classroom experience, we are going to take a deep dive into finding out all about gaslighting. So if I'm being completely honest, I thought I actually knew what gaslighting was until I actually did my research and realised that there's a lot about gaslighting that I didn't actually think was gaslighting and I didn't know that that was also a part of gaslighting. So I'm really excited to kind of teach you the learnings that I've discovered from various websites uh, and science forums. So strap in, it's not easy, it's a big old topic and hopefully once we finish with this episode we're going to have much more of an understanding and actually be able to call it out if we ever experience or see it happen to anyone in our own lives. Just to kind of outline what we're going to be looking into, so we're going to talk about what does gaslighting actually mean? Where does the term come from? Because it sounds a bit strange. Where does gaslighting manifest in society? Who is responsible for gaslighting? What are the signs of gaslighting in action? How can we move forward from a gaslighting experience? And finally, I'm very, very grateful in advance that listeners have sent in and shared with me their own personal experiences with gaslighting. I cannot thank you guys enough. I'm really, really grateful that you've trusted me to use your experiences to educate others. Thank you so much. Now, let's start with exploring two definitions. One from Medical News Today. And one from the Sunday Times bestseller, Florence Given, from her debut book, Women Don't Owe You Pretty. So, gaslighting, according to Medical News Today, is a form of psychological abuse where a person or group make someone question their sanity, perception of reality, or memories. People experiencing gaslighting often feel confused, anxious, and unable to trust themselves. So let's hop over to Florence Given's explanation. Gaslighting is when someone's lived experiences are deflected and are made out to be in their heads. It's a form of emotional manipulation that often plays out in abusive relationships and can cause victims to lose their sense of self almost entirely. When people get defensive and say things like, I didn't mean to, you've taken it the wrong way, or it was a joke. What this actually does is shift the blame onto the person who feels hurt, leaving them feeling responsible for dealing with their feelings and often causing them to question their own reality. Okay, so I think I now get the overall top line gist of what gaslighting is. But why is it called gaslighting? I mean, it's kind of a strange term. Gaslighting reminds me of, I don't know, maybe like Wee Willy Wonka as he's carrying a gaslight. I don't know. I don't know. So let's look into that. So according to Medical News Today, in an article that they've written, gaslighting derives from the 1938 play and 1944 film Gaslight, in which a husband manipulates his wife into thinking she has a mental illness 
by dimming their gas-fueled lights and telling her she is hallucinating. Well, that husband certainly sounds like a, a nasty piece of work. So, we now know where gaslighting comes from, the general overarching themes that gaslighting was all about, manipulation, confusing people, and trying to rewrite events in their own heads to make them very, very confused. Right, okay. So we know that the term comes from this play. So how do we witness gaslighting in action? Let's look further into this Medical News Today article. And it now goes on to state the following gaslighting techniques. Now, do bear with, there are quite a few, but it's really important to understand what these techniques are and how they actually work. So let's start with countering. Countering. This describes a person questioning someone's memories. So they may say things like, God, you never remember things accurately. Or, are you sure? You have a really bad memory. Those sorts of techniques. Second technique, withholding. So when someone withholds, they refuse to engage in a conversation. A person using this technique may pretend not to understand someone so that they do not have to respond to them. So I'm also going to assume here, this is me, Katie Conn, speaking, not to the medical journal. I'm also going to assume here that pretending deliberately to not hear someone is also gaslighting. So the next technique that's spoken about is trivialising. So this occurs when a person belittles or disregards the other person's feelings. They may accuse them of being too sensitive or overreacting when they actually do have valid concerns and feelings. Denial. Denial involves a person pretending to forget events or how they occurred. Diverting. So with this technique, a person changes the focus of a discussion and questions the other person's credibility instead. So somebody might say, that's just another crazy idea you got from your friends. So deflecting and I guess diverting onto <laughs> somebody's credibility. Stereotyping. Gaslighting techniques may intentionally use negative stereotypes of a person's gender, race, ethnicity, sexuality, nationality or age to manipulate. So for example, you might tell a female that people will think she is irrational or crazy if she seeks help for abuse. So there we go. We've seen that there are lots of different techniques that make up gaslighting. I guess gaslighting is perhaps the umbrella term. So I am firstly saying I'm very sorry if you have experienced this behaviour or perhaps now you are starting to reflect on your own experiences and if something like this has happened to you, just remember it's not your fault and if you've witnessed somebody else go through that, it's really good that you're now recognising that these are signs of gaslighting. So I actually suddenly thought the other day there is a book that I've recently been reading called How to Be Successful Without Hurting Men's Feelings, Non-Threatening Leadership Strategies for Women. It's basically a very sarcastic, illustrative book. Just really interesting because it observes essentially what it's like being a woman in certain workplaces that are often quite male-dominated. I think that the author is called Sarah Cooper and she has a background working in tech. And she wrote this book and it's really good. And I remember thinking, I swear there is a section in there about gaslighting. So I then went back to the book and saw that, yes, indeed, Katie, you are right. Well done. Your memory has worked this time. I'm going to actually share some of these examples with you just so we can kind of dip our toes into 
how these gaslighting things manifest at work at some people's work remember it's you know obviously i'm not generalizing here but someone speaking to you in a condescending manner someone dismissing your opinion as irrelevant be vague with instructions and then blame the person for not getting the task right someone might look at a screen when you're trying to talk to them that person may say that a question is actually answered even when it actually wasn't a gaslighter will rephrase what someone says so it actually sounds entirely different and its meaning really isn't the same as what it actually was originally meant to be. Knock an idea from somebody and then later repackage it as their own. And if you don't agree with an opinion, the gaslighter might just say, no one has that opinion. <laughs> That's so annoying. Oh yeah, no one actually thinks that. But I do, please. I do. Why? Um, very annoying, all of those things. So condescending speech, dismissing your opinion as irrelevant being vague with instructions and then blaming you for getting it wrong, looking at a screen when, you know, someone's trying to talk to them, a person saying a question is answered, even when it's not, rephrasing what someone says so it's entirely different and its meaning isn't the same as what it was intended to be, knock an idea and then later repackages your own, and if you don't agree with an opinion, they'll say, no one has that opinion, no one has it. So there we go. Thank you very much, Sarah, for your brilliant book, how to be successful without hurting men's feelings. Non-threatening leadership strategies for women. So now we've just heard that gaslighting happens in the workplace. I'm going to also stick with this Medical News Today article, which now goes on to explain other contexts where gaslighting happens. So of course, building on gaslighting that happens in the workplace, here it's called institutional gaslighting. So the organisation may deny or hide information lie to employees about their rights or portray whistleblowers who uncover problems in an organisation as incompetent or mentally ill. So perhaps if somebody has a very valid opinion who is speaking out about maybe the company's treatment of mental health issues or, you know, sexism within the workplace or a power dynamic with a colleague, if that company suddenly goes, look, you're just actually mentally ill and you're not very good at your job, that's deflecting. And that is gaslighting. Intimate partner relationships. An abusive partner may accuse someone of being irrational or crazy in order to isolate them. They'll undermine their confidence and make them easier to control. I definitely always think, and I'm sure that my friends also agree with me here, that when you're speaking to somebody and <laughs> that person goes, yeah, but you know, they were just crazy. There's always a tendency to see that as a flag it's quite a big thing to say about somebody. So if you ever hear somebody when you go on a date with them talk about their ex and say, yeah, but they were crazy. Run a mile, run to the hills, run, run, run. So gaslighting is also seen within child-parent relationships. Abusive caregivers may use gaslighting to shame or control children. They might accuse them of being too sensitive to belittle their feelings or of misremembering events from when they were younger. Medical gaslighting. When a doctor or medical professional dismisses or trivialises a person's health concerns based on the assumption that they're mentally ill. They might tell the person their symptoms are in their head, for example. Racial gaslighting occurs when people apply gaslighting techniques to a group of people based on race or ethnicity. So, for example, a person may deny that a specific group experiences discrimination despite evidence that says otherwise. Or they might criticise civil rights activists for being too emotional to undermine their message. 
Well, I certainly, I certainly think that we've seen a lot of that recently, especially in context of racial gaslighting and, of course, uh, gendered gaslighting with regards to undermining women's and non-binary and queer people's experiences of street harassment as the overwhelming surge of open discussion about people's experiences of sexual harassment have tried to be diminished by the hashtag not all men. Now, let's not focus too much on that, but we are witnessing gaslighting happen every day in the UK. And of course, political gaslighting. When a political figure or group use lies, denials or manipulates information to control people. Now, without going into politics, because it will probably make my blood boil too much, just think, have you ever witnessed political gaslighting as a voter and have you ever witnessed it in action? And do we still see it today? I'm not going to answer that question, but I'm going to let you do it in your own minds. Florence Given also states that straight up lying if you confront someone with categoric, unquestionable truth is also a form of gaslighting. So I think she mentions in her book, off the top of my head, that, for example, say if you caught a partner cheating and you actually saw them with your own eyes on a date with somebody, and then you came back and said, I saw you on a date with somebody, and they just go, no. That is gaslighting, because they're trying to rewrite the own reality that you had seen with your own eyes, which is so sneaky. So, yeah, not into that one little bit. How do you spot someone who is a victim of gaslighting? So the National Domestic Violence Hotline indicates that a person experiencing gaslighting may, and this is a bullet-pointed list, feel confused and constantly second-guess themselves, find it difficult to make simple decisions, frequently question if they're too sensitive, become withdrawn or unsociable, constantly apologise to the abusive person, defend the abusive person's behaviour, lie to family and friends to avoid having to make excuses for their abuser, feel helpless, joyless, worthless or incompetent. Gaslighting can also cause anxiety, depression and psychological trauma, especially if it's part of a wider abuse pattern. So let's summarise that again. So feeling confused, always second guessing yourself, difficulty making simple decisions, frequently question if somebody is too sensitive, withdrawn, unsociable, Always apologising to the abusive person. Always defending the abusive person's behaviour. Lying to cover up, having to make excuses for your abuser. Feeling hopeless, joyless, worthless or incompetent. And also, of course, gaslighting causes anxiety, depression and psychological trauma. Especially if it's part of a wider abuse pattern. Okay, so what do you do if you realise that you're being gaslit? According to Healthline, it states that you need to first... Really make sure that it is gaslighting. So gaslighting isn't always easy to recognise, especially since it often starts small, and other behaviours can sometimes seem similar. True gaslighting develops into a repeated pattern of manipulation. The person gaslighting you generally wants you to doubt yourself and depend on their version of reality. So someone who offers a different opinion than yours, even in a rude or a critical way, they're not necessarily gaslighting you. So essentially, in Katie terms, they could just be a bit of a knobhead and you might just have to get on with it 
and agree to disagree, even though you might want to scream. So if you have realised that your situation is gaslighting, take space from the situation. Have a bit of perspective. Maybe speak to a friend about it, someone that you trust. See what their perspective is and let them see and assess the pattern of behaviour that you are experiencing. Collect evidence. Write it down in your notes. Every time you experience gaslighting behaviour, write it down. Date everything, maybe even put the time. Speak up about the behaviour. Only do so if you feel safe and if you can, try and remove yourself from the situation and remain confident in your version of events. Remember, you're dealing with a master manipulator, so you have to have to have to be able to be confident and have categoric proof of your version of the events because they are going to try really hard to rewrite that because that's what a gaslighter does. According to Good Therapy, it also states that when confronting gaslighters with what they're doing, don't take responsibility for the other person's actions. So they, they might claim that you've provoked the abuse. And even if you avoid the actions that offended the gaslighter in the past, because they're a gaslighter, they will likely come up with new excuses for new types of abuse. Don't sacrifice yourself to spare their feelings. Do not argue on their terms. They are a gaslighter. If the other person is fabricating facts, you are unlikely to even have a productive discussion and you'll spend time and energy debating what is actually real instead of making your point. It's not worth it. They're a gaslighter. Prioritise your safety. Gaslighting makes you doubt your own intuition. But if you are in danger, get the hell out of there. And also, of course, you're not alone. Talk about your experiences with others. Friends and family can offer emotional support and validation. And according to Healthline, how do you rebuild after a gaslighting experience? So Healthline recommends practicing mindfulness, keeping a feelings journal, affirm your own feelings and opinions. Remember, you are not, let's use quotation marks, crazy. You're not crazy. Find professional support. And good therapy says that, you know, with time and support, a person can recover from gaslighting. reached out to listeners and followers on Instagram and Twitter on Educate Socials asking for any personal experiences where people have experienced gaslighting in their lives and if people would be happy to share those with me in order to educate listeners on this podcast episode. And very kindly people had responded with their own experiences of gaslighting. So two of these are experiences of gaslighting within the working environment and another two of these are to do with gaslighting experienced in relationships. I think one of the, the biggest ways, I was in a long-term relationship um, for a couple of years and I think one of the biggest ones that sort of was like quite a recurring feature was my ex would trivialize, like trivialise how I felt or like I'd call him out on something and then he would get incredibly defensive and so then it sort of built a relationship in which I then stopped questioning and stopped being defensive. And I mean, this isn't entirely to do with gaslighting, but I guess it's more toxicity and emotional abuse. But he would also sort of, uh, he got really, really mad at me once for talking to my best mates about things that had been going on. And so he said to me, like, you know, we sort things out between us. In a way, it is very much linked to gaslighting because it's, you know, a lot of the times all of these sort of traits are interlinked 
And that meant that I then stopped approaching my friends for advice and for like comfort and for, you know, outside perspectives on whether or not, you know, this was a good idea or, you know, when you just sort of vent to your friends and you want to just talk to them about what's going on and stuff like that. Um, and I think that sort of started very early in our relationship and it was something that I really battled with. One thing that happened to me once is when they sort of say something and then say that like they never said it or like forget that they'd said it you know classic examples are sort of like you know you told me to you said let's meet at three and they say no you never told me that there was so much of that to the point that when someone you know when your your partner starts telling you like no but you never said that and then you're like oh did I not you know it starts really innocent it's like oh shit sorry completely forgot I thought I'd said let's meet at six and to the point that then there would be times when he would go through our conversations on text while we're having them and send me a screenshot to, like, prove his point. But I would have said something similar at a different time or something like that. And so that would just sort of reinforce his argument that I'd never said what it was that I'd said and that he was therefore right. And thus it sort of just starts to, like, hack away. Basically, you're trusting yourself because you start thinking the the way in which you're thinking and the way in which you're interpreting events never happened. So another one was, you know, we would reminisce about nights out or events and he would say things that would basically then twist the way it did happen. I was doing some research, like, for, for what I could bring to you that, like, could be helpful. And one of the things was, like, you know, how do you tell if someone's gaslit you? And all of the signs were just so... It was just so awful that it was very much me of no longer feeling like I was myself, being really anxious, not confident, like constantly wondering if I was too sensitive, constantly wondering if it was always me who'd done something wrong, constantly wondering, like I was always apologising, no matter what it was. And I think it's it's so, so tricky to be able to give such clear examples because it is so fucking subtle. I think that's just what makes it so difficult to try and explain is because it becomes so insidious in your relationship. Rather than calling him, like, if I tried to call him out, he would then call me out, try and make me feel like I was being emotionally manipulative and like I was fucking up, even though he was the one who was so clearly, now that I know because I've had therapy and, um, you know, I'm not in this relationship anymore. So this was quite difficult to explain, but basically, long story short, my ex and I broke up and... um, near the end of our relationship, he would constantly belittle that I wasn't fun anymore, that I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to enjoy myself the way that he wanted to enjoy himself. And little by little, when I sort of started trying to, you know, be like, oh, I'll come to the pub, I'll come to your mates, etc. He was like purposefully excluding me from coming out with his friends and being there and stuff like that. But at the time, I didn't, I didn't know that. And the fun thing was like a really big weight on my shoulders. I was like, fuck, am I, am I not as exciting as a person anymore? Et cetera, et cetera. And a couple months after we broke up, I ran into a friend of his and we were in a, like we ran into each other in a bar. He approached me and he was like, you know, how have you been? La la la, et cetera. It was, it was a really lovely catch up. Him and, and my ex actually don't talk anymore. And I said to him, you know, I've been carrying this weight, not really seeing you guys that much. And he was like, Clara, like, we all felt like he was keeping you from us. Like he was, we always asked for you. We always asked him to invite you. We always 
asked him to bring you, to include you. Like, we loved seeing you and spending time with you. And I think it was such a, like, pin drop moment of hearing someone say to me, actually, we wanted you there, but my ex never told me that and kept all of that information for himself and made me feel like I was a burden on him for wanting, you know, for, for not being exciting enough and not wanting to go out and not being fun. It was just such a spectacular moment. And I remember going into therapy and saying to my therapist, like, you will not believe what happened. I've literally had someone say to me the entire opposite of everything that I've carried this year, of thinking that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't enough to be with his mates, that I wasn't enough to be invited, to be included in, in him spending time with his friends. And I think that's so, it's so tricky because you think that you're to blame and you think that everything that's happened is your fault and that you are, you know, always, always wrong. So my ex used to come home really late at night and not sort of tell me his whereabouts and lots of other stuff that wasn't particularly easy to manage as a relationship. But one thing that really, really I struggled with was that we'd come home, we'd have conversations. I mean, he was sometimes drunk, you know, not like, you know, he could hold a conversation and the next day would deny everything that had been said. Absolutely everything. When someone shuts you down like that, you just don't really know how to respond because in your head you're thinking, oh, but I have it so clearly that you did say that to me. To then have someone say, no, never did. You know, it just starts to, like, break you down. I just sort of faded away completely and utterly and I didn't trust anything that I thought and I had to go to him for validation and I had to go to him for for everything, for thinking that, for encouragement, for constantly questioning my belief I would change the way that I'd remembered situations in a way to kind of like appease him it I, I don't really know how to explain it but it's just so deeply twisted and deeply traumatic and horrible even within 10 minutes of a conversation he would say one thing and then 10 minutes later when I would call him out on it would say but I never said that and you just don't know what to think because someone is literally telling you, like, I shouldn't say that. And then you're like, fuck, did I imagine that? Like, who do I trust? Do I trust the person that is opposite me? Or do I trust my, my myself? And, you know, especially when it happens for so long, you just lose all sense of, of self-belief and all, like, intuition. And I really don't know if he knew what he was doing, which is perhaps one of the most scariest parts. I'd say it's been, like, about a year and a half that, maybe not even, probably just a year, I think, that I've really started, like, tuning back into my own intuition and my own gut feelings about people and remembering that the way that I see things is true and believing that. Anyways, I hope the podcast goes well. I was third in charge of the department and often led to lead the department of 18 staff. Um, because I had a head department who was sort of part-time at the time, checking out until retirement and didn't want to rock the boat anymore but at the same time was encouraging me to do so and take the lead and make decisions and enact change and when I did that with certain colleagues um, she would then deny any role in the matter when colleagues went running to her to complain about what I had done um, so then the blame was then put on to me with no senior support and I was told that this is this was all my doing um so it led me to regularly question if i had misunderstood the guidance or instructions from my head of department and if i was actually a bad manager a bad leader because that's what she was telling me i'd done after 
encouraging me to do the opposite. And simultaneously, I had a second in department who was basically a pathological liar. Um, anything from what they ate for lunch, what they did last night, to conversations then with colleagues or departmental policy decisions. She would retell conversations or work meetings I'd been in with completely new information. To begin with, I just kind of glossed over it, thinking we'd remembered it differently or that it was a minor thing, so it didn't matter. But then it became a level of daily stress. Every morning she'd come in and rant to me about the department or senior leadership, drama, goings on, that hadn't actually happened or were slightly warped versions of the truth. And then if I had to get involved because it was a serious thing she was saying, I often looked like the idiot for not having my facts straight which included when I went back to the second in the department to speak to her later and she'd strongly claimed that that's not what she said or how it happened. Um, I began to write down conversations, keep emails in a private folder. My poor husband had to deal with me offloading big time nearly every evening. I was accused of doing things in departmental meetings, even down to my facial gestures that I never did. And I used to then look a bit pathetic asking friends who were colleagues if I was doing these things because I was so questioning every little action I did. And even to this day, it makes me pretty self-conscious because I question the truth of these things. Um, trying to handle both of them simultaneously was a pretty big minefield, especially coping with the lies and the truths they were saying about one another to me. Um, it wasn't until I left the job and got breathing space and perspective that I realised just how unwell um, I'd been because of this and how damaged I was because of it, how it impacted my relationship with other colleagues and just how burned out I was on top of a ridiculous workload and questioning everything daily. Um, it definitely contributed to me leaving this industry sooner than expected and has made me, even to this day, sometimes a bit cagey, especially with regards to my own leadership skills because they were called into account and maybe question the reality of every situation. A very brave individual sent me a written account of the gaslighting that this person experienced at the hands of her ex-partner, and this person would like to remain anonymous, so I, of course, am going to respect their wishes. When I was still breastfeeding my son, I was horrified to find that I had a pubic lice infection. When I informed my partner, he said I'd probably caught it from the physiotherapist I was having pelvic floor therapy with at the time. Without batting an eyelid, he handed me a special comb and cream to treat it. It appears that in a very twisted way, he shifted the blame onto me and made me believe I was responsible for the infection denying my reality. Pubic lice are sexually transmitted in 99% of cases I have reasonable grounds to believe that he was already treating his own infection since he had the required cream and comb. He had infected me, but shifted the blame onto me. Years later, he allegedly told my daughter he got the infection from bedsheets on a trip to India. This is a classic example of gaslighting. He also resorted to gaslighting with my daughter in the summer of 2018, she was at his apartment and she found a woman's hair clip. She turns to her dad and says, Dad, whose hair clip is this? He looks at her straight in the eyes and says, It's yours! 
You forgot it last time you stayed over, don't you recognise it? My daughter, who has never seen this hair clip before, insists to him that she's never seen it before and it's not hers. He insists it is hers. Surely she can remember it. She ends up leaving his apartment with the clip in her bag, convinced it is hers. In fact, the clip was most likely another woman's. Another example of his gaslighting was in July 2018. He had agreed to attend a five-day couples therapy with me in the UK, whilst he was already seeing another woman. The therapy didn't go well. I told him we needed to try again. He declared, I need to work on myself in individual therapy first, then we can come back in six months' time, giving me the illusion that he was willing to fix things. Yet the whole time he knew he had no intention of doing this. Once again, he manipulated me emotionally so he wouldn't appear as the bad guy. And finally, here is another experience of workplace gaslighting. This person would also like to remain anonymous. I had an experience where I was praised by one of the heads of the company for my good work and then given additional responsibility outside of my job remit. Then out of jealousy, the head of my department started to ignore me when I would speak to them. And when they did respond, it would be with one word answers. I then decided to have a meeting with this person and with a member of HR present to say that this behaviour was extremely unprofessional and making me feel uncomfortable. They sat in the meeting and completely denied everything. They angrily said that it was all in my own head and they were sorry that I took it in that way. I was devastated and I felt absolutely helpless. As millennials, I think we just tend to work hard and accept the poor working conditions that are thrown at us as a stepping stone to something better. And I definitely operated under this guise, which is why it took me so much courage to even organise this meeting and express my upset. So to be met with so much hostility and anger from a colleague and to be inadvertently told that I was overreacting and it was all in my head was absolutely awful. Thank you so much, Educate listeners, for once again staying with me for another episode in the virtual classroom. Together, we've learned about gaslighting, what it is, where it comes from, how do we spot it, what behaviours does a gaslighter give off, and how do you move forward and recover from a gaslighting experience? And most importantly, I would just like to offer the most genuine of thank yous to those who have contributed their stories of gaslighting. Your individual testimonies have actually brought to life the evidence of gaslighting that the medical journals and psychologists have spoken about. It's very easy to understand what these things are in theory, but it's even harder to understand how they actually play out and how they manifest within your own experiences. really hope that you've learned and taken away new understandings about gaslighting from this episode and I would be so grateful if you enjoyed it if you would share it with a friend or maybe even write us a nice review apparently it helps more people find us in the podcast charts so that would be quite good have a lovely week and thank you so much once again find me on instagram at educate underscore podcast or even on twitter I've recently started a new account on there for all educate chatter thanks so much and have a great week Music.